Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Easter Sunday that you took your first steps outside of the tomb to give us comfort of the things that we might be afraid of most, namely death and eternal death. And you have given us this Easter Sunday proof and great comfort that what you did has victory over death and Satan and all of the evilness in this world. Give us that comfort now as we hear from your word and sanctify us in your truth. Your word is truth. Amen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Have you guys ever seen the movie The Passion of the Christ? Maybe, probably many of you have. It's been quite some time though. If you have, you'll understand why I say it's almost too much to watch near the end of the movie. Because as you're watching all the things that Christ goes through, the scourging, the beatings, the whipping, it makes you feel like you're a little washcloth that's gone through the ringer. And by the time you finish watching the movie, though you can't really grasp the power and the comfort of the very last scene in the film. The last scene is very dramatic. The camera places us within Christ's black tomb, and it slowly pans toward the massive stone of the entrance. That stone is grinding its way back and forth in the channel. And you see a finger of the bright sun of that first Easter morning that's piercing through the blackness of the tomb. All the while, the camera continues to slowly pan over, and that grinding of the massive stone continues until our gaze is focused on the slab where our Savior's lifeless body had been laid. But the body is gone. The linen wrappings slowly collapse. Captivating music is now building, and the camera pans a bit further. And then we see his face. No longer bloodied and bruised and battered, but whole again. New and fresh again, Jesus is the risen Lord. Then our Lord stands and we see the gaping hole left by a crude Roman spike in our Savior's hand. He takes one step forward and the movie comes to a close. It's powerful and it's memorable, but the record of scripture is even more powerful, more memorable, and more comforting for us. For his first steps led outside of that tomb. Jesus' work to save us was done, but now it's his time to announce that victory to all those who thought him to still be dead. So his first steps led to Mary, who didn't quite seem to notice there were two angels talking to her, and then to Mary, who thought Jesus was a gardener, and again to Mary, who witnessed to all of us, I have seen the Lord. If merely watching the movie of the Passion of 
the Christ is enough to leave you and me feeling exhausted and emotionally drained. Can you imagine what it was like for Jesus' first disciples who actually lived through the first Good Friday? And what day that this must have been for the women as well, like Mary Magdalene, who followed Jesus. After all, the Gospel of John makes us sure to know that Jesus' mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene were standing near the cross. They were all there, witnessing every brutal moment. What was that like? Was it like a nightmare unfolding before their eyes? Certainly it could have caused enough to have them a post-traumatic stress situation. These women who loved their Lord so much were also the first to visit his tomb that Easter morning. They had carried, as our text says in Luke 24, the spices that they had prepared and they came to pay their final respects to their dead, and to their dead teacher. As they drew closer to the tomb, they worried about how they would move that massive stone out of the way. But there was also other concerns, weren't there? How were they going to talk their way past the Roman guards and break the seal that Pilate had placed on the tomb? They didn't know. They were still in shock. And that certainly included Mary Magdalene, who went to the tomb at the crack of dawn as earliest as she could. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And she told them, and we don't know where they put him. After sharing this report, Mary followed Peter and John back to the tomb. And once those two arrived, they went inside and checked everything out. Yes, the tomb was empty. Yes, Jesus' body was gone. So back home they went. I mean, why stay? There was nothing else to do there. John even adds this unflattering editorial comment to the record. He says, they still did not understand yet that scripture, that he must rise from the dead. They still couldn't quite grasp Jesus' teaching regarding his resurrection, that he must rise. I think at times, we can also be a little slow at grasping the height, the depth, the length, the power, and the certainty of all of our Savior's promises that he gives to us. Especially in challenging times, it's hard to grasp all that. It's hard to remember all of it. But it says in John 20, But Mary stood outside facing the tomb, weeping. And as she wept, she bent over, looking into the tomb. She saw two angels in white clothes sitting where the body of Jesus had been laying. One at the head and one at the feet. And they asked her, Woman, why are you weeping? She's weeping because her heart is broken, because she was in shock. She couldn't see what was right in front of her. 
two angels in white clothes. Were there halos around their heads? Were they playing harps in the background? Who knows? Mary wouldn't have noticed. All she could think of is this. They have taken away my Lord. And I don't even know where they laid him. She was stuck in the nightmare of Good Friday. Christ's body hanging at the center of the cross. Christ's lifeless body later laying in the new tomb of Joseph of Arimathea that he'd cut out of rock. Those were the images that were stuck in Mary's mind. That's why she was weeping, sobbing. The kind of grief that wells up from deep inside you and comes crashing out. She couldn't hold it back. As far as Mary knew, her master was dead. And along with him, all the promises were dead. All those hopes, all those dreams that were tucked away in her heart. All those times that she heard him say, and preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. As she and the other woman followed Jesus, traveling from one village to the next, proclaiming this good news. Any of us who has experienced trauma may understand a little bit of what Mary might have been going through that first Easter morning. It's why she seemed oblivious to the angels frozen a little bit even, struggling to think what her next move should be. But our Savior is a caring Savior who understands what each of us are going through even better than we do ourselves. He knew exactly what Mary needed. That's why his first steps led outside of that tomb where Mary would Think Jesus is a gardener. The Apostle Paul's account is poignant and personal. It's amazing the little details that we've been covering this whole Lenten season. The little details that are included in the gospel writings. Because we must remember that John recorded his gospel account 60 years after Jesus' resurrection. Somewhere around 90 A.D. Sometimes I can't even remember what I did the day before. How could John, the elder, remember? Because the Holy Spirit, by inspiration, made every detail sharp and clear in John's mind, heart, and soul. That's why John says in John 20, After she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Though she did not know it was Jesus, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? Supposing he was the gardener. She replied, Sir, if you carried him away, just tell me where you laid him. Now at this point, there are theologians who sometimes act as if they have too much time on their hands, come up with all sorts of reasons why Mary wouldn't recognize Jesus. The first one is they say, well, our Savior really kept her from recognizing him at first. That he just simply kept her from realizing who he was. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. 
Another reason, they say, is Mary's eyes were simply blurred, so she couldn't recognize Jesus. Well, duh, she was crying. She was sobbing, gut-wrenching sorrow. Of course, her eyes were blurred. The other reason, they say, is that Jesus may have looked different than he did before his resurrection. That one may have some merit. On Easter Sunday afternoon, Cleopas and his companion, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, didn't recognize Jesus when he joined them and walked along the road with them either. Of course, there is also this. Jesus would also be the very last person they would expect to see. Because what did they know? What was the last thing they knew? He was dead on that cross, laying in a tomb that was sealed, guarded by a Roman guard. So I guess if seeing two angels in white clothes sitting where Jesus had been laying doesn't make you stop and go and think for a minute, then you aren't going to recognize Jesus who, rec who rescued you from the hell on earth being possessed even by demons. You won't recognize the soothing voice of the teacher you followed for three years either. You won't recognize the Lord who only a few weeks earlier told Martha, before his death, he told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even if he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never perish. You won't recognize the Lord if you stood outside the tomb and of Lazarus and shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out to the man who died. Four days sitting in that tomb, Jesus calls him out. How can you recognize the living Lord when all you can remember are the horrors you witnessed on that cross. When you stood beside Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, you simply can't. Not when you're doubled over weeping, not when you're stuck in Good Friday. Now I have a question for you. Do you and I ever get stuck in hopelessness, the hopelessness of Good Friday, stuck grieving maybe over a spouse or a parent or a child that the Lord took home, and maybe we still feel it was too soon, stuck worrying about how we're going to pay the bills now that our job downsized or maybe we lost a job, and what are we going to do if we get the coronavirus? What are we going to do now that we lost most of our retiring savings? What are we going to do that now that we lost our business? How will our congregation and our ministry move forward in uncertain times? How will we move forward when all we can see is persecution coming our way? Will we simply stop and give up the church when times get tough because we can't see our Lord? There are so many concerns, so many fears that threaten to keep you and me 
mired in the bleakness of Good Friday. But there is only one way to roll back our massive stones of fear, sorrow, worry, and weeping. Only Easter can do that. The risen Savior who knew exactly what Mary needed that first Sunday, who knows exactly what you need this Easter Sunday. He knows what you're going through. He knows your worries. He knows your fears, your anxieties. And he's pointing you to Easter. There's nothing that can harm you now. You are in the saving hands of Christ. His first steps led outside the tomb for that very reason. To give you comfort, give you proof of the victory that he's given us. The last one is he came to Jesus outside. Jesus came to Mary in those first steps outside the tomb. And she comes to recognize who he is. Just one word was all it took for Jesus to lift that fog and that darkness from Mary's heart and mind. Just one word to free her feet that had been frozen to the ground just outside the Savior's tomb. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and replied in Aramaic, Rabbi, it's you. Jesus told her, do not continue to cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. She also told them the things he said to her. The King of kings and the Lord of lords who had finished his work to pay the price of all of our sins, all of the human race, the one who had chained Satan and his mission to the dungeons of hell has already descended there to declare his eternal triumph. We hear in Paul's letter to the Colossians. The one whom the Father would exalt and give the name that is above every name so that every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That the risen and glorious Christ who is our good shepherd. He cares about us. And he knows all of his sheep. Every last one of us, he knows you by name. So Jesus simply said, Mary. And the darkness of Good Friday began to be pierced by the sun that is Easter. She calls him teacher. I suspect her tears continued. That's why human emotions, they work that way. Even when you're sad or now that you become happy, the tears are still rolling. But the wonder, the relief that began to sweep through Mary in waves, she hugged her Lord. She held him tight. This was clinging. She didn't want to ever let him go. But that wouldn't work. Jesus had other places to go still, other people to see, more names like Thomas, 
the doubter. For our Savior intended to have hundreds of witnesses, even more proof for us that our risen Savior indeed did raise from the dead. I have seen the Lord. His first steps led outside the tomb. And Jesus made sure that he met Mary because he knew that she needed him. Then our Lord sent Mary to his brothers to share this Easter news with them because he knew they also needed him. What were they doing? They were in, locked in that room, scared of what's going to happen to them. He knew they needed him. And there's Peter with his hand in the Bible. To be sure we are not following cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the powerful appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And there's John, an old man who could never forget that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have observed and our hands have touched regarding the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it. We testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We are proclaiming what we have seen and heard to you so that you may have fellowship with us. Together, the witnesses shout to us, all of us, Easter is real. The Lord's gracious forgiveness of sins is real. Jesus made that crystal clear when he sent Mary with a message to his brothers. Even that greeting was pure grace for those who had scattered like scared rabbits into the night outside Gethsemane only days before. There is the same pure grace for us too when we sometimes get stuck in our Good Friday nightmares. Because you see, the writer of the Hebrews assures us that the risen Lord is not ashamed to call us his brothers, his family. This is why he came. This is why his first steps led out of that tomb. His first steps led outside that tomb to give you that great comfort that you can have today. No matter what you're going through, Jesus is risen. He has defeated our greatest enemy, sin, death, and the devil, and given you a certain hope. Praise the Lord. Amen. Please rise for the blessing. Now may the grace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep and guard your hearts in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. Please remain standing for the prayer of the church. Let us pray for the whole church of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Lord of life, your Christ is risen and we rejoice. Let us hold his finished work firmly in our minds that we may remember what he has told us and continue always in the one true faith. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. 
Eternal Father, your church has come early in the morning this first day of the week to find the body of Jesus. Grant us greater faith than those first, that in the confidence of the resurrection we would believe his word, receiving him in this blessed sacrament, and proclaiming his truthfulness without hesitation. Lord, in your mercy. Faithful God, we have come through the season of discipline, repentance, and increased devotion. May these works begun in us continue in faith, in hope, and in love, until you bring them to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, in your mercy. Holy Lord, mighty God, your power is over all things. Even death has become your footstool. Reign over the might of man and preserve us against all threats to peace. Give wisdom to our president, our governor, all those elected or appointed to serve our government, and all who judge or enforce the rule of law. Deliver us from pride, from the deceptions of self-sufficiency, and from the use of technology without conscience and purpose. Lord, in your mercy. Father of our risen Lord Jesus, you have founded your promise in his crucified and risen flesh. Fortify those who suffer in body. We continue to pray for your servant Al, your servant Russ, your servant Kathy, your servant Jackie, and all those who suffer in the body, and all those who are unable to come to us today, as well as your servant Arnold, that they may stand now on your word until they stand anew with Job and all your resurrected saints. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. All praise to you, dear Father in heaven, for you have opened the way to eternal life by the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for all those who have gone before us in the faith and now rest from their labors. Keep us in that same faith and embolden us by your resurrection to be fearless in the face of disease, chaos, loneliness, and every sorrow of this world. Give us with Job the solemn expectation to cheer us. Our Redeemer lives, and we too shall be resurrected and glorified to live with him in his eternal kingdom. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our resurrected Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.